On today's podcast, meet university educator and performer Robert Gilmer. I'm your host, Sylvia Morn, and you're listening to the Music Secrets Exposed podcast. Today in the podcast, I have a really interesting guy today. His name is Robert Gilmer, and he is a university educator and performer from South Africa. And this guy has a lot of opinions and a lot to say, so stay right to the end. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Great to have you. Thank you, Sylvia. It's awesome to be able to have a a conversation with you. So um, I discovered you through the Music Academy in South Africa. You're an advisor for that academy. And um, I did an interview there a number of weeks back with Drez Petzer there talking about what they're doing in terms of how they're developing a creative approach to music education while holding the foundational bits in place, such as music theory study and everything. And you're part of that academy. So it's interesting now just to meet you and hear your story about music and how you got into music and what you are doing now and what you think about classical music in particular and how we can use it in this modern day. So Robert, how did you get into music? What's your story? Well, from a very young age, I can remember my first birthday present was a tape deck and I used to, um, it was one of those sing-along books where you had to page and then you sing along to the music so that I, I was, I fell in love with music. I think it was always part of me. Um, I can't remember when I started singing, but I probably started singing before I could talk. Uh, I think often, you know, with, with people who are into um, vocal music, you know, that's, that's kind of the case. And um, throughout school, I used to sing in, in, in school choirs. I did solo singing, I used to be in church choirs, in middle school, high school, I, I used to do our Steadfords. And uh, I just enjoyed music in, in general. I never did music as a subject uh, as in, from school. And then after I finished grade 12 of my matric year, I decided to go into commercial music, going to sing at festivals. Um, I had a friend that we did duets later on was in a vocal group it was was like a dance and a vocal group and at the young age of 30 i decided to take it further in education and i started studying music at university and i did my diploma in in music education and that was with classical training i did western classical training singing and then with my degree i experimented with jazz and it was two years that i did my degree in in jazz music and I'm currently busy with my master's in performance, and it is in contemporary music. Oh, wow. So you've, you've spanned all kinds of genres. So what would be your favorite genre? Definitely contemporary music. Um, the, the reason for that is I think in my approach to music education, I feel, you know, when, in a, when anyone asks you to say, say, for instance, they want to learn to play piano, they have no idea. They don't say, oh, I want to be a classical pianist, or I want to be a jazz, or I want to do folk music. They just want to play the instrument. And I think with all the music aspects, we should look at teaching the instrument instead of 
teaching style. And then as you get deeper into that, you develop a, a, a fondness for a specific genre. And I think that a person can have a broad um, knowledge of all genres. As soon as you learn how to use the instrument properly, if you want to, if you're a coloratura or a soprano, or if you're bass, you know, it, does, it actually doesn't matter. I actually, um, I move away completely away from, from classifying people's voices because I, I, I prefer, you know, do you sing high or do you, do you sing low? And the rest of it, you know, gets strange with technique. I mean, we have so many different styles. You have Mongolian throat singing. You have overtone singing. You have subharmonic singing. You, with jazz, it's almost a spoken art form. You have musical theatre, classical singing. It's it's so amazing. So I do think that you can be an all rounder and still perform authentically in different styles. That's the thing about the world of music. Once you get into it, there's no end to it. I mean, it's just. You know, I've, we've discussed in this podcast in the past in different interviews about mental health and all of that. And the thing that I have noticed about musicians in particular is that they, I could be wrong in this, but it's just my own personal observation, is that they don't seem to suffer from depression and these other emotions as much, particularly if they're very into music, as much as some other people in other walks of life might. Because True. there's just a world of just challenge there at every corner to achieve a new musical skill. It takes work and effort. It keeps the mind busy, which is great. Now, to this idea of commercial singing versus career opportunities, it's something that I haven't heard spoken very much about. We all was here about the opera singer, the pop singer, the bubblegum music singer. But what about commercial singing? What kind of opportunities are there and what sort of career opportunities could someone get into potentially? I think in general, just just with the fact that that musicians had to and singers had to think out of the box with the fact that we went into a global pandemic, it made us think of not just going into a performance career, just being on stage. But I see a lot of people because music, especially commercial music, I find it's almost on a speech level singing compared to the the other forms of you know classical singing and operatic singing, where people are doing voiceovers. They being exposed to people on an international base where now we have equipment in our in our in our in our bedrooms that we have microphones and and we have video cameras and we can collaborate. I've seen so many people. Uh, whether it's in, in religious functions where churches um, combined, then you have someone in, in Australia and someone in America, and they, they made these these choirs or the music that they, they would produce uh, from different countries and just blend into one thing. I think the opportunities are amazing. The fact also with, with us teaching online and, and thinking, sharing our skills, I think if, if, you, if, you've, if you've been in, in, in the industry and you've worked yourself up to a level of proficiency, I think the, the next thing would be to share your information and to, to give the tips and tricks and teach people how to get into it. If you've been studying for 10 years, I'm sure that, that you can almost give them the shortcuts and not, and, you know, and not learn through the mistakes, prevent people from making mistakes. And um, like, you know, thinking also with the differences in, in um, currencies, 
In South Africa, we are a developing country, so our um, our currency is not as strong as the UK or or in America. But the skill level, I mean, we have we have really different stylistics and 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 techniques that we also use in South Africa, and it's nice to be able to share that with with the Americans or with with Norwegians, and and you can actually have lessons online, and you know you'll be worth the the amount, <laughs> and you'll be paid in dollars or in in, in pounds. So this begs the question then about classical music. What value has classical music in terms of opera singing and all of that? Because you're looking at this technological world now. We know what commercial music sounds like. We hear it every day of the week. And then you look at the gaming community. They need a style of music. Then you look at, forgive me calling it, some people will hate me for this, but bubblegum music. You look at all of that. (laughs) But it's all a complete modern contemporary style. So where does classical music come in? Because a lot of examining boards still use classical music as their basis of education. Yes. I think with if if we look at, at contemporary commercial music, um, it's very young. It's from the 1920s, I would say, up to to current. So it's a hundred years old. If I would think of you know, if you think of the if you exclude jazz or actually including jazz into it, classical music it's been it's been around for so long. I think we can still learn from the older sister. You know, seeing music as as a family and contemporary music being the the young baby that needs to be nurtured, we can still learn a lot from 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 classical music. Uh, from the the stylistics, if I'm if we look at where where classical music uh, or how it's shaped also through all the different styles, if you think of you know Western classical tradition is split up into baroque, it's split up to classical music. We have um, romantic music. Even have, go back to the Greco-Roman era, we and and uh, even Gregorian chants. You know all of that stems from somewhere. And going through all those ages and developing a specific style. I, often people also say that you, when you have a classical um, foundation, it's good to start off because you have the theoretical knowledge and you, you, you have some sort of an experience of how the instrument works. And do you think some music is overproduced? Because this is a criticism that I've heard some classical music, musicians looking at the contemporary world, criticizing it and critiquing it. That like this idea of classical music in its or origins was performed live at all times. Nowadays, it's contemporary music is very studio produced. Yes. And there's a lot of technology surrounding how this sound that you finally hear in a YouTube video or a commercial sounds like. <laughs> Do you think music is overproduced? I think there is a, a factor of, of of music being overproduced where people try to use technology to move away from technique or to move away from um, the, the being professional. And I think in that sense, when when a person does the work, if you had to do a, a classical performance, even if we look at, at uh, maybe look at someone like Josh Groban, who has a bit of both worlds, where it's a contemporary um, Western classical crossover artist, um, he wouldn't sing with the, the lyrics in front of him when he's doing a full-on recording. You'd be practicing. You'll know how to play it on the piano and you'll you'll live the music and you'll go for the recording. And it, it won't just be one recording. It would be a few and they'll do the best takes. And then when technology comes in and they produce and they polish, I think that is what, what it should be. 
And often because also the fact that we are at home now and being able to have access to uh, to all this technology. In the old days, you know, it was only the the, the famous that, that had access to television and to things. But nowadays we have a, a recording studio in our home. So we have access to that and people tend to use the technology instead of doing hard work. And in, in certain instances, I can understand, yes, it, it does help because you put in a, you, you're putting out a, a more polished product, but you can still hear the difference between someone who is a good artist who has done their, paid their dues and then having a bit of production. I think nowadays it's very difficult to, or very few things go out with any, any form of productions, technologically mixing. Also in that sense, um, I always, when, when, I, when I teach a voice and when I speak to people, the fact that we listen to a voice in different ways. That's why when you speak on, 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 on a CD or something and listen back to it, you sound different. Now, when we hear sound, when I hear you speak, I hear you through one medium. It's through air. When I hear myself speak, I hear myself through a solid, through liquid and through air because my bone structure, it's, it's solidified and the muscles, and then obviously the, the liquid in my body, the blood and the type of thing. So, so where, where if the sound is produced from my throat or from the larynx, it resonates in my body and I hear a fuller sound. So where production helps you to get closer to what you would sound to yourself. So adding a little bit of low frequencies or, or making it a, a available uh, or more or easier to hear. I think in that sense, production helps to, um, to translate or to um, add things back that was removed from pudding. Because I give you an, a, signal, a signal through my microphone, which is um, an audio signal, but it goes through the internet and it goes, it, it gets um, coded into to numbers, into zeros and ones. And then it eventually it goes back into your ears, into audio. So something does change. I think if I had to meet you in person, I'll sound different and you'll sound different to me as well. <laughs> yeah, very true. We don't think about it now. We're so used yeah. to it all. Isn't it true? True. <laughs> now, if, if somebody wants to get into this singing uh, instrument, we singing is an instrument. It's, it's, Properly in the musical circles, it's called an instrument. If somebody wants to learn how to sing, when should they begin learning how to sing, ideally speaking? And should they also consider learning an instrument like piano to help them as they go along their singing career or studies okay. even? With regards to singing, I think as young as possible. Um, with, with formal training, I would be, because the thing is, I, with, with regards to, to specific styles, I think if a child wants to sing, let them sing. Um, the only thing is that you don't specifically push because the hormones change at the age of 14. You know, the voice changes for, for young males. Um, the, the voice becomes deeper and it's, it's often they, they don't have control. But when you have someone coaching you and taking you through that process, I think a lot of the times you'll find that the, the boy would actually keep a lot of the high register and, and, be, and then have this additional lower range that comes to it. So I think with regards to singing music in general, I think you should start from, from whenever you can make a sound that, um, you know, because the voice is something that you're born with. So you're always aware of pitch. And um, to stop someone from singing and say, well, you're only going to start at the age of 14, I feel that you lose out on a lot of 
oral development and and any other you know uh, learning to to actually know your instrument um thinking again you know as a as a young boy up to 14 now you start you actually you you start to learn with an instrument that you aren't familiar with because at age 14 as a teenager that's where your voice changes so you actually don't even know what your instrument is like where if you start at a young age with regards to to learning to play an instrument i had the i had no formal training so for me I, my development of my oral abilities and um, being able to sing harmony, um, that was almost like a self-taught thing and being exposed to music, being, you know, being in choirs, hearing different harmonies and things. But I felt um, when I, when I started studying at the age of 30, um, piano was my second instrument. And for me, it it opened up a new language being able to, to accompany myself. Um, I'm not the best pianist, but I can at least, I'll be able to do a show with, with playing piano and singing. And I do think that a person learns a form of a, a respect. Also, when you, when you start um, learning to play other instruments. And I've, I think it's also like a little bit of an, an addiction. As soon as you start singing and you learn to play piano, you want to play guitar. Then you want to play the bass guitar. Then you want to do something else, maybe even drums. <laughs> I know I've been digging into traditional Irish music over the last few weeks um, just to try and understand my own native culture at a deeper level. And I'm suddenly learning about all these nuances that I never knew were there before. And now I want to feel and touch these instruments. Like what, what do they feel like? How, yes. how is the sound created? You know, it's like a whole world of discovery waiting. Yes. Now, we mentioned prior to the podcast here, recording the podcast about the relationship of performing and the audience and getting that relationship figured out as a performer. Because I know that as a singer, probably performance is high up on the agenda, whereas maybe playing an instrument, you're going to be potentially in a group format. If it's an orchestral instrument, if it's piano, you know, you're going to be accompanying choirs, perhaps it could be any kind of a thing. True. But with voice anyway, there's a big high kind of caliber of performance, probably in, in the mindset of the student who's learning how to sing. So with that all said, this idea of performing and the audience, can you speak about the relationship between the two? What makes a real good singer last in the memory of the audience? What's the ingredient? I think with, with regards to, to a singer, when, when someone is authentic, when when they choose music that suits their their voice and it, it plays into their strengths and that the entertainer or the singer can convey the message with with true authenticity if um and that's often with regards to to being able to relate to to the music and being able to convey that message um, you know when i speak about thinking of, of a performance side often if you look at academic music someone can do their the PhD in, in 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 piano performance, and they they're allowed to 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 play with with sheet music and with being a singer that is it's taboo. You you can't expect someone to to perform to have eye contact to live the music to understand the lyrics to be able to convey it and still look at a page and and you know get your cue from that. So it means that it feels that you are unprepared. 
So you need to love the music and it needs to to have that that connection with the music and the audience. You're mentioning a couple of words there like live the music and being authentic. Now, can you go deeper into the idea of living the music? This this is interesting. I think with if we as a as an educator, um, when I suggest songs to my students, for a twelve-year-old girl, I am not going to give her a piece to say, "I will always love you." Uh, it it needs to be something that is age appropriate, something that they have experienced. Um, if when you're sitting in an audience and someone, it, it feels like it's not authentic the, the person is, is singing about something and you, it's it's almost like you have that connection you can feel the audience is intelligent they can pick up things and you can see when the person does not believe what they sing or they they don't sing what they believe the other way around so being that having that authenticity living the music is about singing of your experiences. That's why when we, in, in my opinion, if we're looking at a singer and opposed to an artist, an artist should be singing their own music. I feel that that they should be composing their own music. They should be writing their own lyrics. And because you often find even in contemporary music, if I were to think of Bruno Mars, He's always involved with what he writes. The songs, it will be in, in the perfect key. It will highlight his high notes, his low notes, his stylistic approach to it. And he sings about things that he believes. And, you know, it's, it's like um, the sacred writing says, you know, what, what the heart is full of the mouth runs over. So if you're going to write about your own experiences, I think that will be the, the, the reason why it feels authentic. And people will, will be attracted to you um, in the sense of, they um, they believe what you are singing. They can relate, and that's why they would support you. Because in some some form, it's it's a it's a healing process when I can sing about a breakup, or I can sing about my first love, or I can sing about the nature, how I experience nature. If I see Table Mountain in Cape Town for the first time, and I can experience it, and I can explain to you what I see in it. But if you come and visit in Cape Town, you see the mountain, you can say, oh, but look at the flowers, look at this. It's a, it's a different experience. And we, and, and that is, I mean, the, the topic of love is all over in music, but it never becomes boring. True. Um, but then when I look at playing an instrument, I'm kind of thinking two things here. I'm thinking the voice is innate in the physical being. Yes. And it resonates deeply within the being. So if you're not connected to the content of the song, well, there's going to be an issue there because mentally the psychology comes in and you're kind of figuring out, oh, I have to sing this horrible song. It's not going to work. But then on the other side of it, if I play piano and I'm not 100% connected to the piece, I'll probably, if I've done my homework preparations, I'll be able to pull off the piece of music a bit easier than singing, perhaps. Would you agree to that? I do agree. I, I definitely agree. Um, often people think that that singing is the easier uh, side or the easier instrument uh, to to use. the The fact that that you aren't allowed to use sheet music or something it it just feels wrong. You know, if I had to have a booklet in front of me enough to perform to an audience, and it, it is kind of accepted when you play an instrument. So having to portray lyrics because we use words when we sing our songs with 
an instrument, there's no other instrument that can produce words. So you might have the, the same instrument playing the music. I might experience as a listener, experience something different to what the person next to me is experiencing. Um, when we listen to music, say for instance, if it was in, a, in an orchestral setting or in a band or something, there's something that I'm going to receive out of that music. I might have had a, a, a terrible day and now the music is soothing because of the chordal progressions, because of the way it was arranged. Um, or the person next to me actually had a very good day and they just enjoy the, the lyrics or, or uh, let me rather say the, the, say the rhythm or the, the, the um, percussive type of thing where, you know, a, a friend of mine, uh, he's, he did his doctorate in, in, in music and he referred to body, mind and soul and he compared it to harmony, uh, melody and rhythm. And in a way it's, he, it, it connects where rhythm connects with body where harmony connects to the soul and melody connects to the mind. So, you know, the melody gives the identity of the song, the harmony kind of gives you that the goosebumps when you hear that, that the, the clashes and the, 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 um, the dissonance and then the release where you have the person playing the drums, you can feel it like, you know, you want to, you, the feet needs to move when you're hearing the dance. Yes. So I think in, in that sense, but now the, 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 when you have lyrics, it gives it like a fourth dimension because now you're explaining, you, know, you don't have to sit with your, your eyes closed and, and not being able to, to interpret it. It's, it's been given to you. So I'm giving you my interpretation. <laughs> So if we look at the word, you use this a lot when you're speaking the word authentic. And to me, authentic means that you're really, I suppose, if you're into the world of mindfulness, you would say you dig deep down into your subconscious to become an authentic person. You're going beyond your state of mind. You're going you're, you're just going deep down into your heart space. Yes. Do you yes. think singing has that innate requirement that you have to be authentic to be an effective singer? Definitely. I think just to be recognized as a singer, you need to be yourself. Uh, the, the fact is that no voice is the same. So immediately that has the defining characteristics. My voice will never sound like anyone else's voice and no one else will sound like me. So if you are a, an artist that, or a performer that wants to sound like a Josh Groban, or they want to sound like Justin Bieber, you will always be a copy of that. And I think just in, just in the mental wellness state, you know, the, you, we hear so much about that nowadays with, um, you know, the, the being the, the, your authentic self and exposing yourself to, to um, the world. Often people are scared and, you know, they, they, they're scared to fail. They're scared to put themselves out there. And that is one of the things you, you need to be confident when you sing, because that's what makes it believable when I can sing something with conviction. And I know that I'm seeing this because I believe it. If I'm going to be a shy person and I'm insecure, that message is not conveyed properly. Well, then you're coming into the region of personal development in a sense as a singer that you've got to kind of dig deep to go through all that. So it's as much as you're learning the instrument of how to sing, you're also learning about yourself as a person. That is true. I, I would even say it though, you know, even playing piano and I remember doing exams there, you know, and, and the lessons that I, of learning that I went through, not in the sense of 
learning the music, but the personal lessons, the, the digging mm. deep yes. that had to take shape for me to attempt to perform a Brahms piece. That's true. Was, was very revealing. And I think the younger you start, the the more experience you build up. Um, I've always used myself as, as an example. With, with me only doing starting with my academic career at age 30 and only being exposed to the piano in that sense, it would be a waste of money for me to go and buy an expensive piano because I don't appreciate the instrument yet. So I need to know what a good piano sounds like. What is the good sound? And um, if I've been exposed to, to the pianos that are in the university where that's been there for years, it might be a bit old, it might be, you know, a bit worn or something, but going in, into an auditorium that has a world-class piano, I would not know the difference if, if it was the first time that I played on the piano, but someone who has been working it for 10, 20 or 30 years, immediately when they put their fingers on, on the ivory and they play and they hear the tone, they, they would say, oh, you know, the sound, the tone, the feel, you know, there's so many things that you look at. And I think that's why we should encourage people to start at a young age, regardless yeah. what instrument. So I can imagine a young person starting to sing what kind of supportive things can be put into their environment to help them? Because, you know, it's often been said the environment shapes a person. And I know from my own experience that I'm always saying to people when they're learning pianos as their instrument, try this, it will help you. Mm -hmm. And it's something that they might place in their environment to encourage them on the down day, the lethargy of not wanting to perhaps practice. Yes. Or, you know, we all have the down days where we don't want to go and play that piece one more time because we're tired of it, but it has to be done. Yeah. So what kind of things would you place in your environment to help you reach that authentic self yes. in terms of singing? I truly think that that a community raises a child and um, and often in, in our tradition, in, in our, uh, with my South African culture, um, we also have um, Dutch influences. So we have Afrikaans that sounds very similar to Dutch or to um, Flemish. And as Afrikaans boy, we would, the, the children always entertain the family on a Sunday when they have their Sunday lunch after church or something. And then the, the parents will say, come and sing us something. And then it doesn't matter if you were singing terrible or you were singing really well, the, the, you know, grandpa will, will clap hands or anything. And that is actually very difficult because the thing is, as parents, you know, supporting their children, you have to be authentic, um, not to necessarily compliment a, a, a developing musician when they did something wrong. <laughs> you can say, well done for performing. You're very brave. Or you, you can find something nice to say, but but if, if the, the, the child, and it sounds very harsh, but it, it saves them for future, you know, future disappointment. Where if someone sings out of key, or they sing, you know, or something is wrong. You can make them aware of it. You can give them a good, you know, good. You can always find something good to say. It's like, well done, thank you for entertaining us. And then you can you can say afterwards in a in a safe environment to say maybe let's go for lessons. Let me take you for singing lessons because I can hear you struggling with pitching or something like that. But the, the, to make a long story short is that a community, your environment is actually the thing that helps develop you. So as, as, a, as a youngster wanting to start singing, I think you should expose yourself to people that you feel comfortable with who will give you um, correct and honest opinion. 
because if, if you had people, your friends lying to you saying that you sing beautifully and then you go onto idols and Simon Cowell says that was terrible, it will break your heart and it will break your spirit. <laughs> so I would rather. I, I just saw, it, as you bring that up about Simon Cowell, I just saw a video on YouTube over the weekend because my husband brought it to my attention of this singer and she thought she was the best. Yeah. And her parents were standing to the side and they thought, oh, she's going to get the four yeses and all the rest. She was perhaps the worst singer that ever stood up on stage. I felt so sorry for the girl, to be honest, because she thought she had it. But the parents, the parents were just saying, oh, she's our daughter. She's the best. Like, you have to be realistic, too. You know, there has to be a degree of realism. In our society nowadays, you know, we, we teach, teach kids that they can do anything that they put their mind to. And yes, I agree. If you work hard and you put effort into it. But there is also a, an aspect that mommy's princess is not going to be able to be the rock singer, the operatic singer, the best chef, the model, the, the you know, it's, it's, yeah. you have to be realistic and you have to you use have your strength and then you can work on, on, on your weaknesses. On that strength, hone that yes. strength, strength. Yeah. Now, just before we, uh, complete our time today in this podcast. It's been great speaking with you. you so I just want to just address this idea of examining systems because here I'm in Ireland and you were talking before we were recording the podcast about that there's different forms of examining system. You have the US of A system. Yes. And then you have the UK system, which has remained very much the same for like probably hundreds of years now. And that usually comprises of classical pieces, scales, oral tests, sight reading as, as the basis with a new introduction in recent years of jazz music. Yes. And you said before our interview that, you know, jazz music is presented with classical understanding, which is interesting, which is really taking away the true nature of jazz playing. And I yes. suppose I have to agree really being classically trained myself because when you listen to classical or sorry jazz music in the states and you look back into the history and you bring it forward it's a whole culture to itself yes i don't think i'd ever be able to express it appropriately to be honest <laughs> but what changes would you like to see in the educational system and just on another note mm. you're advising the academy the music academy there in south africa and they're doing a very different approach where they're holding the basis of music theory in there but what they're doing is they're allowing so much creative improvisation to take place and they're actually encouraging it, which is amazing, yes. while still holding yeah. the good basis of musical education. So what changes would you love to see and where do you think classical music fits in? Some people say that classical music is great because it gives you skill that no other format can. Mm -hmm. And then when you've that skill achieved, you can move on to other forms or genres of music. A bit easier so what's your opinions what's your thoughts to me the the music education system it's it's very much comparing rules to relationship where i often feel and don't get me wrong in the sense i've i've done classical training and i've chosen to go into contemporary so i do have appreciation and a love for classical music but like I say, we have to be authentic and we have to, you know, call it out for what it is. And I often find that not necessarily the style, but the mentality around classical um, education, people tend to think that it's superior to anything else. And I think in the sense of, of looking at the what I would like to see with music education is that 
people who are self-taught should also be able to get the recognition in academics where often we find that people who are self-taught or they have experience with the instrument, they have exceptional oral development. Um, why do we find that people might have a doctorate or they might be a professor in, in specific instruments or in music, but they can't play happy birthday without the sheet music? So I feel a lot of it gives you, you're being taught rules and you are locked into that thing where even with singing, where I find with, with, um, with bel canto, where people are, if there are dramatic um, tenors, where they have a, a over, almost like an over-exaggerated vibrato, where in contemporary music, we learn that vibrato comes naturally. And that it is a sign of singing without tension. But in certain stylistics, you're able to sustain a note without vibrato. So it doesn't become, a, 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 it's, it's, it's because often people say in, in classical singing, when they are dramatic tenors, they, they, can't, take, they can't sing without the vibrato. It's, it's embedded. So it becomes a habit. So, so I always say practice makes permanent. It doesn't necessarily make, make perfect. When... I think with, with regards to music education, if people can um, appreciate and acknowledge contemporary music, a style that uh, you can either learn audibly, you can learn it through reading sheet music. Just on that thing as well, with, with people thinking that contemporary music is easy. If you had to look at a, like syllabi from London College of Music compared to uh, the Trinity School, and you look at the, the 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 Western classical piano. Try and play the the piano piece, the contemporary piece, without listening to it. It is extremely difficult because you have your syncopation is extremely difficult. Your way of interpreting, you need to listen it to un, listen to it to understand. And often, just by listening to it, it makes the the understanding so much easier. And there's, oh, okay, now I can see. It. Let me rather play the piece in block format, and let's look at the chord structures. And then you can play it and say, oh, it's arpeggio on A minor or something, instead of trying to to um, read the the um, the dotted rests and things and and the the difficult syncopation. So what what you're saying there is that when rhythms get difficult. It's great to listen to the piece of music so as you can orally understand it and perhaps learn that difficult patch. Yes. Is that what you're... Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think in, okay. in general, you know, as if you look at educators, not, not necessarily music educators, we tend to look at, at the different senses, to look at feel, to look at vision, to look at um, hearing and being able to practice the thing yourself. You know, we tend to, that's a normal thing. You know, some people are audible learners. Some people, you know, have to do it themselves. Some people, why don't we do that in music? <laughs> it's, it's, if it's I Well, I know I've often spoken about this. Um, I discovered it a number of years ago that there's only a set number of types of intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I have seen it time and time again that the way the Western system is built, look, you can't serve everybody with the one system. But it only deals with one percentage or type of learner. Yeah. And then the guy who's that bit different and doesn't fit into the schooling system, the way it's set up, yes. they are the ones that fall foul and suffer. Yeah. And they feel that they don't fit in and then their mental health can become affected because of it. And ultimately life it is challenging because of it if they don't find their niche. Yeah. 
Also, I can add something to to that with the the fact that that I find there's a flaw in 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 the the music education system. Um, if we look at at contemporary music now, contemporary means it's like something from the 1920s and forward. But the fact is that we're looking at benchmarking, and benchmarking is totally flawed because. Immediately, if I wanted to, it, it was such a huge struggle for me to do my master's performance because there was no form of writing to say, this song is a grade eight piece. And I had people who are educators and they've been in, in the industry for so many years that would say, um, but, you know, you need to add a key change or you need to change the, the chordal structure. So, and, and then I said, but it doesn't apply to a singer. You can have different chord structures, but the melody always stays the same. Why do we say, why do we benchmark the song? And why don't we benchmark the person singing? Because at the end of the day, who are we, are we judging? Are we judging the, the song or are we judging the, the interpreter? I can sing, you know, if I'm thinking of the song from the police that every breath you take, if you think of the words, it says, I'll be watching you. Now, if I had to put it in a minor key, it, you know, it, it, it changed the story of, of a, 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 a father figure being worried about his daughter being to some character that coming out of Silence of the Lamb saying, I'll be watching you. Oh, dear. <laughs> the, the thoughts of that. Yeah, a horror movie job. So, so putting a song name on a paper and asking people to, to authorize or to say that, you know, you can sing that for that concert, it, to me, it doesn't make sense. So really what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is the music has to be right for the person. Yes. For the type of person that they are, so as they can express it yes. appropriately to whatever their personality is. So it's like in piano terms, just comparing it to piano terms, there's a genre of music uh, like Debussy and Ravel created the, um, can't think of the name, it won't come to me now, but their style of music some people love and it sits with them and they can perform it but ask them to perform a mozart piece and it's like putting them into a box and they can't do it that's true and it's the same with a jazz pianist get the jazz pianist to perform i don't know beethoven or bach or something and, and they just can't do it and it isn't a skill issue yeah it's just a personality thing it's it's what's true. innate in them yeah, and yeah. in singing terms, then otherwise you be it becomes an argument of saying, you know, is who is the better singer? Is it Sarah Brightman? Is it Adele or is it Nora Jones? Who is the better singer or the stronger singer? Because now you have formed you have formed your own own set of rules. Um, if I say Aretha Franklin sings really well, but she's a belter. You know, she, you know, it's it's a different style. Nora Jones because she sings. Um, cool jazz type of, you know, lounge type of music. It doesn't mean she's authentic. <laughs> she's true to the style. And that I think should be the benchmark when you look at the performance and um, look at, you, you have the basics, looking at intonation, you're looking to listening to, to, to hear if the person articulates correctly, can you hear what the person is singing? But if you have to judge, a, um, if it's a heavy metal band, I mean, you can still judge intonation. You can still look at, you know, is the... Yeah, but I think, I think one key thing, though, in this whole discussion is how the performer connects with the audience, because ultimately that's where the magic happens. That's where concerts are created. That's where artists can be sustained. And if they can't get that connection between them and the audience happening... Now, just to... to... 
<laughs> to make my my classical friends to make them a little bit upset. If you look, if you had to look at a concert pianist, what is the connection with a concert pianist in connection with with the audience if they don't have eye contact? But you don't have to answer that. <laughs> it's it's just we have different standards. Well, no, I I agree because it seems to be they're into what they're doing. But I have seen concert pianists and they do throw an eye to the audience. But it's it's hugely funny yeah. when you see it. It's really really funny. <laughs> and there's this pianist from Brazil. And I'll put a link into the podcast description just for the listeners to have a laugh at him. But he's an excellent pianist. His skill is amazing. But when he's playing, he's looking at the camera. He isn't even looking at his hands. He's looking at nothing. He's just staring into the camera as he's playing. He doesn't move an inch. And I say, okay, he's got skill. But it's so funny to watch because we're so used to watching pianists kind of just, you know, in the zone. Yes. As they say, in the zone. Disconnected from the audience. Okay. Yeah, completely. So there was another video I saw recently as well, and this was to do with a jazz pianist got up in a classical concert stage. Now we're talking about this world of classical music being fuddy-duddy and this more jazz, more properly accepted. So just in your minds, I think this whole orchestra, they're all dressed in their black dicky bows and dresses and so forth. And this pianist sits on the stool and starts to play this crazy boogie-woogie. So all the concert participants, you know, the orchestra were sitting around the piano and the camera was pointed and it showed the first and second violinists and they were sitting there like statues. And it took about, I'd say, four minutes in before you could see the slight tap of the first violinist's foot. And the lady was the second violinist and she was just sitting there and she was whispering to the first violinist and there was no emotion, zero. And the guy was getting the audience going and they were clapping and they were doing their thing and it was getting energy into the room and they were like statues. Oh. Crazy. Like it's talking about worlds colliding. It's yeah. it's just amazing. So I think there's a huge opportunity where classical music could really come off the stage, come out into communities and start merging what they do so brilliantly but take it out of the concert hall and reposition themselves. They've lost the connection with community. They've lost the connection with people. Yeah, if we look at the 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 operas, even like looking at Don Giovanni and all these, you know, it was brilliant pieces written, but it was comic relief. The people had fun; they could laugh, and you know, people experienced, it, especially in 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 that era, you know, when um, where where music people were very sensitive. So if if they had a a, a very abrupt crescendo, you know, then the person in the audience would pass out. Yeah, oh, it's so dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But there's great funny stories. There's great funny stories of, you know, the chamber musicians. If you think back to the Jane Austen films and there was particularly Pride and Prejudice. I love the one that was made in, I think, to the 80s, the late 80s. I love that particular one. And there's a portion in the film where you've got the chamber orchestra to one side and then you've got all these people milling about with the food and the dance and, you know, all the wealthy families, girls and guys getting together and everything. But what it's showing you is the picture of where music was with the people. It wasn't superior. It was down at people's level. And there was fun. Yeah. And that's one thing that classical music doesn't have anymore. And the one person that's trying to bring it back and has done a great job is Andre Rio with his Strauss Orchestra. That's true. He's amazing. He's he's done a great job with classical music. Yeah. Really great job. I have have the opinion that 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 music, you know, the the fact of having an, an audience and having someone on stage is it's it's actually a new concept. 
because if you look at, at you know way back in, in history um, that you know music was always something that was experienced together and it was never about the virtuosic um, person you know having the one good singer or the one good instrument everyone it was just it was a community thing and I think if we can get that again to uh, have it you know then it will develop immediately. You know, people will start to want to practice instruments and things because I want to do this better because I enjoy this so much. Well, I see it here in my own home country here of Ireland in the traditional Irish music scene. There is um, a folk singing couple in a town called Dingle in County Kerry, a renowned place for tourists to visit. And the lady in question is American and the guy is a guitarist and they own, I think they own a pub or whatever. Mm-hmm. But every week, twice a week throughout lockdown, they were doing concerts via Facebook Live. And there was other traditional musicians that they were in close contact with in that community. And you can see that Irish music is still part of the community. Yes. It's still connecting people together in that very real, like non-showy context it's just like down with the people they're having crack crack of a joke a drink here crack of a joke no major alcohol at all at the days of alcohol in ireland is really put behind us thankfully (laughs) but like the new ireland that we're seeing now that's it's a different ireland but the real trad music scene is still holding on to community and it's wonderful to see it and all i'm saying is if classical music could come down and do similar yeah and come back out into the open or in small events and get people inspired again because there's beautiful instruments more inclusive yeah there's beautiful instruments like cellos and double basses i had a piano student i had a piano student one time and he was he he was so excited he went to a concert his first concert it's always a special one the first one and he saw the double bass he says i want to learn that double bass he was such a confident young guy and i think the parents got him a double bass eventually but they had to borrow one in a school first and he was like oh i'm learning the double bass sylvia it's great it's brilliant fun like and that's because of what he saw and it was at a chamber music festival in um a house called bantry house down in the west southwest of our country west cork and um the events that they hold there are kind of not very big they're small they're they're like you can imagine this mansion house with just this big ballroom and people sitting around and in the middle there's this you know, little stage. It's a little stage. And they're just doing their thing there. And he was so inspired. I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? That's amazing. I think that's the biggest reward when you have a youngster coming up to you and saying, oh, I love what you do. I want to be just like you. You know, you want to. That's what we are are made to share our, our knowledge. That's it. Music is wonderful. It's just wonderful. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. We went over time, but that's okay. It's a pleasure. And um, we'll have you back again because I feel that there's more discussion to be had about this whole idea of bringing classical music down to the masses and having fun again. I agree. We need fun again. Yes. Yeah, Thank you so much. Again. It's been awesome. Thank you. Okay.